happen. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may be seated. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. And we're going to go from 52 into 53. And we're going to stay there for most of uh, our lesson this morning. For you who had gone to camp with me for, for years at Indian Creek Youth Camp, you may have seen signs uh, every now and again that would say something like Jasper, Alabama. But for us, uh, as we meet here today, we have one from Jasper, Alabama here with us, which should make us all feel very good. So you won't know all these things, but if I were to say to her, Nauvoo, Alabama is where my grandfather and grandmother live, she would know exactly where that is. Slick Lizard Road. You ain't been to Alabama until you've been to a place called Slick Lizard. So there you are. Uh, it's great to have all of you who are visiting with us. Uh, today, as we look at the suffering servant, I want you to focus your minds back to 1924. There was a man by the name of Dr. Charles Mayo, and that name may sound familiar with you. He was one of the collaborators uh, to uh, bring on the Mayo Clinic. Being a doctor, I suppose he's good at math. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a doctor. Uh, he calculated the human value, uh, the value of a human body in its chemical makeup. The value of a human body in its chemical makeup, 84 cents. 84 cents. Now, a hundred years later, as inflation happens, now you're worth about nine bucks. So you've got that going for you. Are you really worth $9 or, or 84 cents? What are you worth? You know, there are so many people who live within our society who, who deal with on a day-to-day -day basis the idea of a low self-esteem. And they look at themselves and they say about themselves, I'm not really worth anything. I don't really have any value. That's a sad statement for people to make. Matter of fact, about 85% of our society has either suffered with or continues to suffer with some sort of low self-esteem. Now, it might be if you uh, consider yourself a fantastic basketball player that uh, you get on the court with someone who is really a fantastic basketball player and you feel maybe less than valuable. Uh, maybe. But we're dealing with people who look at themselves in the mirror every day and say, I have no value. I am just here. If I weren't here, maybe the world wouldn't even notice. What a sad state of mind that is. When you and I open the Bible, 
We see dripping from every page the very blood of Jesus the Christ. We see Jesus even before he came to this earth. As a matter of fact, in the, in the Old Testament, we see how he's going to come. We see in the New Testament his physical life. We see how he was born. We see his, or a portion of his life. We see his death. We see his resurrection. We see that he proves himself time and time and time and time and time and time again to be that one Messiah that was sent by God himself 300 plus times in the Old Testament. 300 plus times we're told of either how he will be born, how he will die, how he will live, what will be around him, where he will do this, where he will do that. And those 300 times or 300 plus times that we see him in that Old Testament, this Jewish nation saw him that way too. Except they had a problem. You see, once God would say he's going to have a kingdom, Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse 6, and that he was going to be the ruler and he was going to have all that authority, they would place him in the mindset, they would place that coming Messiah in the mindset of a Davidic Messiah or a, a Messiah after uh, the example of David. And then they would look at places like Isaiah 53. And they would say, there's no way that someone who is, who's going to be a king and who's going to be uh, authoritative like that is going to be ever going to falter to some kind of torture like that. So there must be another one coming after the line of Joseph. You remember Joseph? How he was sold into slavery by his own family? Oh yeah, there's no way the king after David... It's going to be like that. And so they said there's going to have to be a possibility of, of two messiahs, one coming down the Davidic line and one coming down that Josephine line because they can't put together the two uh, lines as you and I are going to look at them today. Is Jesus or, or did the Messiah come and become like David? Absolutely. Did the Messiah come and become like Joseph? Absolutely. Notice in Isaiah 53, or rather Isaiah 52, what uh, the servant uh, looks like here. Beginning in verse 13, now we're going to read through uh, the entire chapter of 53, so it's going to be a lengthy reading, but stick with me. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled very high. Many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. So he sprinkled many nations. The kings shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told, they see. And that which had not been heard, shall, uh, shall they consider. Who then shall believe our report? And to whom shall the arm of the Lord be revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness that when we see him, we shall uh, desire him. And he hath no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we, did, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. And afflicted. 
He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So opening not his mouth, he was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He had made his grave with the wicked and, and the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his, his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. When you and I read that and we look at the Messiah, we, we look at generally in there what happened to him. And as Isaiah writes this, he's writing in prophecy some 700 or 750 years rather before Jesus comes to this earth, what's going to happen to him. And he starts out by speaking of his visage. And that's not a word we use very often. Uh, sometimes we look at it and some would say that's his, his face. And I would say yes, but that's not all of it. This would include all of his body. Uh, you, can, you can see in that particular verse there in 52 how the writer would write that his visage will be so marred that he doesn't look like a man. So marred more than any man. What a great idea that this gives us towards seeing who Jesus was and what he looked like. Because when you and I see him from Isaiah 52 and verse number 13 and 14, you can't tell what he looks like. He has been beaten to a point to where his face and his body is unrecognizable as a man. If he were to fall down and stay there, he could be seen as just a, just a lump. He was so beaten and so, his body was so ragged. You would have to clean him up to see what he, what he looked like as a man. And then you would have bruising and swelling to where you couldn't really tell him. You could see his skin there, but it wasn't white or black. It'd be red. He was rejected. Anyone seemingly in the crowd, anyone seemingly in the crowd who kept screaming, crucify him. Anyone could have stopped. Anyone should have stood up for him and said, why are we trying to crucify him? What has he done? 
And the answer is nothing. Someone should have stood up for him. But he was rejected. Every time I see the word grief, and I guess it's growing up when I did, I, I think of Charlie Brown. You know, he would just say good grief all the time. And so we don't have a proper perspective of the word grief because I associate it with the Peanuts cartoon. There's a torment that his body's going through. Isaiah said 750 years before, there is going to be a grief that happens that ought to play against the righteous indignation of humanity, but it does not. It ought to spur someone to say, stop, but no one did. Because what we did was we hid our face from it. What you can see is someone putting, as it were, their head in the sand. If I don't see it, it doesn't happen. That's not true. When our girls were growing up, they would say things like this. I'm hiding because they couldn't see us. The assumption was we couldn't see them. Isaiah writes that we, humanity, are going to, to hide our face from it. Well, just let it happen. Because he was despised. Because he was despised. He was the one who would come as the Savior of humanity and begin by saying, you guys are not doing it right. God has a certain plan and, and you guys are not following it. And because we, as humanity, were not following it, we hated him for saying that we weren't. Because we despised him, we let someone beat him. He was smitten. Now we could talk about how he was smitten with those scourges and all that, but there, there, there's one I'd rather you focus in on right here. He's blindfolded. And they would pull out the hairs of his beard and slap him. And they would say, prophesy who slapped you. They would spit on him. Out of all of the atrocities that physically happened to Jesus there, the slapping and the spitting I guess sticks in my mind the most. I guess as a, as a person and as a man, I would say I would, I would really want to strike back at that point. Not him. Smitten? Yeah, oh yeah. Wounded? Sure. Afflicted? Yeah bruised. 
The bruising started in the garden. When in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 42 through 44, where Luke will tell us about the idea of the hematidrosis, the idea of sweating drops of blood underneath that great stress, when, when that would happen, after that, that sweating of blood would stop, the bruising would begin. So he would bruise from his head through his shoulders. And that's where the bruising began. But it didn't stop. You know, if you slap someone and, and hit someone and abuse someone enough, they'll have bruises to show for it, won't they? I can see him with his eye or both eyes even swollen to the point to where they're shut. But Isaiah would write, by his stripes, we're healed. See, by all of those things that happened to him, we reap the benefit, even though he was oppressed. And eventually, Isaiah would write, he was cut off, which in our minds perhaps makes us think that it stopped. It stopped. The idea of cut off is dead. It stopped when, when he died. You see, they were not going to take their foot off of the pedal at all. They would only ramp up and in, intensify the, the horror and the pain that Jesus would go through, that Isaiah would tell us that, that is, is going to uh, eventually end in his death. And we see that mimicked once again in John chapter 19 and verse 1. Therefore, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The word scourged is a, is a, a verb. And it's a verb off of a noun of the scourge itself, this whip type of apparatus that was used. Somewhere, the, the handle of it would have been somewhere between 18, 20 or so inches long made out of wood where they could really kind of get over on it like almost like chopping wood or swinging a baseball bat. And the um, ends, the tentacle-like ends of this thing would have been made out of leather. And within that leather were possibly uh, braided in some ball bearings or some rocks or some teeth or some glass. So that we can amp up the grief and the wounding and the bruising and the stripes as Isaiah would write this. We look at this particular section of Scripture and, and we see the atrocities that happened to Jesus the Christ as he was in that courtyard in Jerusalem. And, and we think, how could anyone let this happen? And Isaiah 53, as it foretells what's going to happen, may be the most devastating day uh, for human justice on earth, but at the same time, it may be the greatest day for God saving humanity. He saved humanity in other ways, uh, portions of them at times. This is not like the ark where only eight got in. This is not like uh, Jericho where the walls fell out and Israel was given a victory. This is for mankind, humanity, from Adam all the way till today. 
This is the blood that would flow forward for us and backward for those uh, and the patriarchs. This is the sacrifice that God has been telling man is coming for centuries and you need to be looking for it. Well, when we look at this particular chapter and we see all of the, the devastation that happens and all of where we ought to be kind of uh, elated that it happened, here's what we see. This is why this cha chapter is foretold. and This is why Jesus went through this particular period of his life into his death. The reason why all this happened is because of your value. Your value. Look over in chapter 53. There's something that I noticed this week. And, and as I read this particular chapter, I always, I don't mean to, to focus in and just read portions, but I guess I'd just focus in deeply on this and read the portions of it that deal with the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's start right here. Verse 1, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He's going to grow up like a tender plant. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He had borne our griefs. He had carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse number eight. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who's going to declare this generation? He is, trans, uh, he is uh, the transgression of my people. He was stricken. And then down in verse number 12. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many. And, the and uh, he was made the intercession for the transgressors. I look, or I have looked at that as what's going to happen to Jesus, and now I can't help but see why it's going to happen to Jesus. He's going to be bruised for our transgression. He's going to uh, heal me by his stripes. The reason why Jesus had to be beaten beyond the recognition of a man is because of you. And your value. See, the idea of looking at ourselves like we are 84 cents worth of uh, chemicals or as if the world would not miss us or we don't apply or, or that uh, we have no value here would slap Isaiah 53 right in the face. Why do all these things happen? Because of your value. Brother Michael read for us so eloquently just a moment ago that Jesus was sent for us while we were still sinners. Because God can see your value even if you can't. Now let that sink in for just a moment. God can see my value even if I can't. Why 
we can look through Isaiah 53 and see the suffering servant and, and what he's going to go through. But unless we see what he's going through and understand without that, we're hopeless. Without his grief and without his being stricken and without those stripes, we don't have a hope in this world. Until we see that, we don't see Isaiah 53 like we should. God gave his Son, because you are valuable. You have worth. He wants us to know that. He wants us to understand that. Not only does he want us to know that and understand that, he wants us to live that. Because we have opportunity to be the sons of God. James chapter one, or John chapter 1 and verse number 12. We have the opportunity to be his son. Do you, do you know your value? God was willing to give the second portion of the Godhead to come to this earth to put on a cloak of humanity. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 14. To, for an express reason, not to come here to teach us how to live in, the, in a physical world. He put on that body in order to make it to that cross to die. Because of your value. Do you know your value? Because God certainly does. Did you know your eternal destiny is based on how you see your value? It's based on you, whether or not you have been obedient unto God's plan of salvation and how you see your own value. So the question then becomes, if you know your value, have you put on Christ in baptism? If the answer is no, then the remedy for that is found in just a few simple steps. By hearing God's word in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 9, and by believing that in John chapter 8 and verse number 24, Repenting of your sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Confessing that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew chapter 10, 32. And being baptized in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. And Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You can be added to the family of God. You can understand your value. The way God understands your value. And if you've done those things... And yet, look back at your life and say, man, I haven't, I haven't done this or that right. I've, I've kind of been living outside of the bounds that God would have me live. Then let me encourage you to take a moment again and understand your value. Understand that you are a child of God and that God expects something from you. Why not come back home? If you're waiting for an invitation, this is a great one. Come back home now to a God that loves you, to a family that has been missing and praying for you. Be obedient to God as he calls out to us through his word right now while we stand and sing. I am your God, Lord.